the gospel lesson for this morning comes to us from uh, the gospel according to St. John. We started chapter 20, uh, verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. They are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and, and put my finger in the mark of the nails... And my hands in his side, I, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life, life in his name. This is the good news, the gospel of the Lord. I'm going to invite Kavita up. We're starting a new series called The Resurrection, Everyday Resurrection. I have to look, look at myself, and we're going to do stories of resurrection stories. I love this picture of Kavita because she's just like my younger sister, and I always call her a pill. And the first time I met Jesse and Kavita was I, uh, they started coming to this church about seven years ago, and they invited Jennifer and I for dinner. And you know how when you leave someone's house, you start talking about them and how they really live and stuff? So I was so, I go, did you see their apartment? I go, you go out on the balcony and overlook boats in the Marina del Rey. They're the only couple that I knew that had a dance floor in their living room, right? And then you go to Jesse's, he has his man cave full of, big screen TVs and Game Boys and all that stuff. And I go, this is the ultimate dinks. You know, double income with no kids. And, uh, and so, 
So, because I'm a dink, we're dink, Jennifer and I, but not like they were dinks. And so they, they really lived. But then they decided to buy a house and they moved in the family. And sometimes we look at it and sometimes it's hard to find peace in your life. And so we know Kavita's been struggling with uh, back pains for about two years. But there's other struggles as well. So I wanted her to share about her family. Now, you have one sister, two sisters, one sister. And uh, your parents live where? <laughs> okay, you you guys you guys bought a house and then you had a back house and your your parents were living with you. Tell us about um, what happened a year ago, or almost a year ago, right? Yeah. So about eight months ago, my uh, sister came to visit. Um, she was having marriage issues with her husband, and she just wanted some time with mom. Okay. Um, and she looked sick. Okay. Um, like. Her feet were swollen like she's got diabetes and, and she's just not taking care of herself. And right. we knew she's not taking care of herself because she never visits doctors. She's okay. just deathly afraid of needles and right. she just has this fear. So, Which I think is a majority of us. Yeah, hers was just very, very pronounced. Okay. Um, so she came to visit on a Saturday and the, throughout the weekend we were all on her case to let's take you to urgent care. Okay. You know, nobody has to give you a shot or a needle if you don't want to. Let's just go right, right. talk about it to the doctor. She was pretty against it. Um, so she came to visit Saturday. She was staying with my parents. And Monday morning, she passed away on my mom's couch. She just died? Yeah, right in front of her while my mom was on the phone with the paramedics. Okay. Now, how old was your sister? 38. 38. Just... Yeah, she just started making weird hand gestures and wouldn't talk, and my mom called 911, and um, my sister passed out, and my mom thought she would just passed out, and my mom ran out to get the paramedics. Right. And they came in, and they pronounced her dead. Right. So that has to shake your world. Yeah. In a sense. And so so now, now your sister passed away in the back house where you guys live. Now, not only that you're grieving your sister, and the peace is gone right now. I mean, there's no peace, right? I mean, obviously at 38 years old. But it carries on to your family as well, to your family. Tell us about the observation that you've seen watching your mother grieve her, her daughter. So it's just, you know, I'm grieving as a sister, and it's definitely impacted me as a daughter, watching my mom, Right. right? I mean, my mom probably looks 10 years older in the past year. Okay. I mean, the, she's lost her first child. She's, she's grieving. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jessie could probably tell you how much, you know, she's, she's struggling every day. Right. Uh, I mean, you walked up to our house and there was a ca- that couch. Yeah, right in the front of yesterday. We were finally we're retiring that couch. Yeah. But it had to come from her that she was ready to let go of that let couch. Let go of the couch that your sister passed on. Yeah, so it's, you know... And you know, I'm always, I've always been a worrier. I worry about things. Yeah. I think it comes from mom. I blame her for it. But, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I've noticed like last six, six months or so, I've been like really worrying about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And finally, a couple months ago, I talked to Jesse. I was like, you know, the biggest fear lodged in my stomach mm-hmm. is possibly losing Rishabh. 
worshipped as your son. Our four-year-old, right. Okay. And I didn't connect the dots until a couple months ago that it's stemming from what's going on with my mom right. losing her child. Right. And just I have this fear. Right. I mean, it's, I'm a logical person. I'm not, you know. Yeah. But I know what's going on, but it's still hard to shake it. Right. To really just have that peace that I don't have to worry all the time. Right. But it's still there. Right, it's still peace. And you even got to the point where telling me that you heard noises around your house. And everyone has noises. This is why I have cameras. I can grab my iPad and I go, Oh, there's someone in the church teeping my house, <laughs> you know, and stuff like this. But this goes deep with you, you know, um, when it comes to noises. Tell us about So it was like maybe a month ago, um, our doorbell kept going off. Okay. And we're both engineers. We know, okay, this is a wireless doorbell. Right. You know, <laughs> somebody's got a, a remote similar, you know, it's, it's doing that, but... Just the fact that it kept going off, our internet went off at the same time. Okay. It just made us all, just both of us just freaked out. Right. And, and like, we were like checking all the doors half the night. Mm. We went and grabbed every flashlight around the house. Right. Um, but it, I, it didn't really, I mean, Jesse spent half the night in Rishab's room. Right. I didn't realize how much he was impacted about, we're all, we're all carrying this fear. Right. This fear and the lack of peace. And the thing is, some of our fears and lack of peace is based on substance that has happened in our lives, right? And so when you lose a sister and you're watching your mother grieve so much, she connects. Like, I cannot imagine losing my son. And so therefore, it's like, because uh, I shared your story at the last, last night's service, and people were connecting with you and saying, that's why a parent says, no, you're not going, because <laughs> I don't want to lose you. And so, have you, now, not that you have accomplishments, do you have moments of peace, or is just right now, is there just none? Um, it's hard to say. Yeah. I think some moments I have peace, and I, I don't let my fears just get the better of me, but the fact... As often as I'm stressed out about this, I know I'm not fully embracing. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm living in fear. Right, living in fear. Do you guys connect with her? Okay. That sometimes worst case scenarios happen. Let me pray for her and Jesse and, and just pray like there's the best way to work through something is go through it. You know, not to try to avoid it. And thank you, Kavita. Uh, for doing this. Kavita only let me interview her she could drive my car. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. It's the truth. That car is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> then I lived in fear. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Give her a pause. Thank you so much. I want you to look on the screen, and it says, what if a worst-case scenario? And we think of this a lot, um, what if something happens? What if? Now, I don't know if you've ever been this way or if it's just Kavita or not, 
But we have a tendency to focus on worst-case scenarios, don't we? And I don't know about you, but uh, a week ago, uh, the Saturday before Easter, I get a phone call from my wife, and she's in Dallas, Texas, getting on another airplane on American Airlines, and she's flying home for Easter. We don't live separate lives, but she was visiting her sister. And uh, so therefore, I said, love you, love you, see you in a few hours. And what happens, we hung up with the phone, and 20 minutes later, I get a phone call from her. And I go, what the? I, uh, I won't share the rest. And I said, hello? And it clicked and hung up. And so I clicked American Airlines 9-11. First thing went in my head. And so I called back. Rang twice, click. So now my imagination is she's trying to call me because the plane's going down. Am I the only one that thinks this? And so, therefore, I called nine times within a few minutes. And so I went on American Airlines' uh, uh, website, and it said, in flight. And I go, what are they, they going to tell me? They're not going to say, oh, just crashed, you know, stuff like this. So I'm thinking, they're probably lying. Then I'm thinking about me because I'm self-centered. I go, how am I going to preach the next day if my wife's dead? And then, and then I'm thinking, okay, great. I just got this car. I'm going to sell the car. I'm going to drive her car forever and ever and ever because it will remind me and connect. I'm going to sleep on her side of the bed all the time. And I'm never going to take her closet, clothes out of the closet. Yeah, I go worst case. And so, therefore, I kept checking and checking. And when the plane land, okay, I don't know what that emotional trip was, but I went on a big trip. Now, the reason I'm sharing with you and throwing my junk out there, my fear, I'm a worst-case scenario person, too. But you look at the gospel that we read today, it was very interesting because the disciples were just like me. They were worst-case scenario. See, to understand the first Easter, what was going on, they, the disciples had absolutely no peace. They were living in incredible fear. In fact, if you look on the screen, it says, when, the evening of that, uh, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear. This is Easter evening. Mary Magdalene told two of the disciples, I saw Jesus, he is risen, but yet they couldn't grasp that. It didn't give them peace, did it? In fact, they were living in complete fear. In fact, this is what they were thinking. I'll put this on the screen. They killed Jesus. What if they're coming to for, for us next? So basically, their fear was based on substance, but they were connecting it here too. Jesus died. Please die. For me, plane happens. Something's happened. And so what happened, the disciples, like we, we have tendencies to lock the doors emotionally. For them, it was physically to keep the threat away from us. We love to build this cocoon in our life to say, this is safety for me. I'm not going out in the real world here. When I went to a Blake Shelton concert, yes, I went to a country concert because my wife was country. At the forum. What am I automatically thinking? Exit, exit, exit. If someone shoots, someone shoots, I'm running. I'm not taking you, honey. <laughs> I'm running. You know, and stuff like this. We all think this. And a lot of us, Jennifer, um, would love to go to Europe, but all the terrorism and stuff, 
she stopped talking about it. Because we kind of say, well, I'm going to be safe in this little cocoon of mine. See, the trouble with locking a problem out is that it locks us into a prison of fear, doesn't it? We think we have control over the situation when in reality, the situation has control of us. And so therefore, we are controlled by a fear and we're doing a lot of things that we don't want to do. And it's interesting, even our dreams that we have of fulfilling a life, we just go, no, we got fear, I don't want to do it. And we just have excuse after excuse. But Jesus seems in this awesome way to get past our defenses, doesn't he? In fact, if you notice, Jesus wasn't going, dude, you got to let me in. He just went through the wall. In fact, if you look at this, it says, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. But Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. This is amazing to me because even in the emotional walls that I, I, I put in my life, that Jesus somehow can penetrate those and go right in the midst of our fear and tell us, peace be with you. Now that song that we just sang before I preached just went right through me, didn't it? There's no, it won't prevent any suffering. He doesn't say there will be no suffering, but there's going to be peace. And so, therefore, it's not a circumstantial peace that he's talking about, but it's an inner peace that we have of who we are through Jesus Christ. In fact, if you go back on the screen, it says Jesus seems to have a way of getting around our defenses and locked doors. And the beauty thing about this is that Jesus' only reason for being there is to drive away our fear and offer us peace. This is incredible, because if you look at the gospel reading, not only once, twice, but three times, he's saying to his disciples, peace be with you. He doesn't say, hey, don't worry about it, I got it, I got this figured out, you're not going to go through difficulties, but he says, peace with you. But the problem is, because I grew up in church, and remember I tell you I got church issues? And you think that I wouldn't be a pastor because I have church issues, because a lot of you just say, I'm done, done with church. Somehow I think I can make a difference. And so I don't leave the church. I, I get in the Word of God and I say, this is what the Word of God says. And the problem is religion is based on fear be with you. You have Protestant issues. You have Catholic issues. You have Protestant shame. You have Catholic guilt. It's all based on fear, isn't it? That people have given us. And here's the thing. God is not in the fear and punishment business. This is my understanding of Scripture. Humans are, but God's not. And so when a lot of people say, well, I think God's punishing me, but I don't know why. What kind of parent would do that? I'm just beating the crap out of you, but I have no idea what I did. And that's how our perspective of God is sometimes. In fact, if you look on the screen, we are afraid because life has taught us to be afraid. Often those who had their trust betrayed when they were young, especially by abuse, are the most afraid. Those who are the most afraid are often the most guarded because they feel a constant sense of vulnerability and anxiety. I have a family member that's been molested in the church. Do you think his anxiety is high? Do you think his vulnerability is embraced? He doesn't want to be vulnerable because his trust was violated? 
And so there's always asking themselves, what if this, bad, this can happen again to me? How can I keep this from happening to me? Back on the screen. Those who live in fear tend to try to lock out things that are scary or threatening, including their own emotions and others who are trying to validate and love them in healthy ways. But in their attempt to lock out all the what-ifs, they lock themselves in this increasing dark prison of fear and despair. They are trapped and often begin to take it out on themselves through the destructive behaviors and addictive addictions to numb the pain. That's why I believe the Lord has given me such a compassion for people that struggle with addictions. Because it's a way of self-medicating. That basically the emotional pain is so strong and so hard that they just look for anything to alleviate the pain, even if it's just for a moment. And this is what, we, what happens. The good news is that Jesus can get around our defenses and into the prison that you and I built for ourselves. And what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, look at you, you messed up, you bonehead. But no, what he says, he goes, peace be with you. Man, if somebody that had the authority like Jesus would come to me in my circumstances in my life and just simply say, peace, peace be with you. Man, that's what all of us need, if you think about this. And then I'll put it on the screen, peace be with you. But it can be so hard to believe that God is with us even in the midst of the fear. Why is it so difficult? Why is it so difficult when we have the worst case scenario to embrace the fear? Now, the thing is, I'm preaching to myself as well. I have not achieved this, but I'm working through it as well. And this is something that I will always work through and always do because my worst case, case scenarios has been based on circumstances that I've had. Look. When you get fired from every church that you pastored, what's your biggest fear? Getting fired. Well, you go, Kevin, you've been here 19 years. It doesn't go away, does it? It doesn't go away unless I embrace the peace of God. See, fear is something that we can almost reach out and touch because it reaches out and touches us. Perhaps that way, why Jesus showed his disciples the scars of his hands and the feet and later allowed Thomas to actually touch them. Those scars were a reminder of the damage human fear can do. But Jesus standing there very much alive was proof that God's love overcomes even our worst fears. But I think one of the things that keeps us trapped in fear is this. Now, I'm going to go deep. Do you mind if I go deep? I'll, I'll go real surface later on. But, but this is what, the reason we, have, we live with fear, including your pastor, is our distortion of God. Because remember I was talking about how the fear control that men have to fear, fear in us, to control us, or anything, like we do with Santa Claus. You notice that Santa Claus is based on fear too. Better be good. He's watching day and night. And if you're good, stop crying, all that stuff, it's all fear-based. And so we project our fears onto God. And I think this is interesting because we think God is scary sometimes. We think God is an angry God, a ticked-off God. And what frustrates the daylights out of me and I, I, is when some tragedy happens like Haiti 
or the shootings in Las Vegas or the shootings in Florida, there's some bonehead Christian pastor that will say, this is the wrath of God, right? And you're just going fear-based. And you're going, serious. Pat Robertson's one of them. And I had a friend of mine say, hey, I heard your dad on TV. And I go, he's not my dad. <laughs> you know? He's not my dad. And so the thing is here is I want to show you this picture because a lot of people subconsciously have this image of God that somehow he's dangling us above the fires of hell. And you better straighten up. You better do something. It's almost, have you seen those cliffhangers or holding the cliff and the guy confesses everything and he says, basically, hold on to me. Don't let me go. This is basically our perspective of God at times. And say, what if I'm not good enough? What if my faith is not good enough? There's times that I've prayed for healing and it hasn't happened. And somebody has said, well, you didn't pray right. Or you didn't have enough faith or you didn't do this, or you're holding on to sin, and now it's my fault? You see how fear-based it can be when people d d just throw out some answers? This is what, what a fear-based tactic is. So here's the one, and please do not take pictures at this time, because cause this is my fear when I was going to put the slide up, that someone would take this picture and go, Oh, look at this hell brimstone pastor, but I'm trying to make a point, okay? Now, have you heard of this? Have you heard of that? People do that, okay? Now, I don't want to be standing there and you snap a picture and go, what kind of pastor is this? But this is how I grew up. That what if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? That is fear-based, Right? And so as a seven-year-old, because I'm a pet pastor's kid, I would go, oh, shoot, I don't want to go to hell. Because, you know, hell is a real place. I'm not disqualifying hell. But as a seven-year-old child and fire and brimstone, eternity and burning is not comforting to me. Okay? So, so I go, I, I look at this, and, and, and when it says, do you know where you're going to spend eternity, this started in the middle uh, not the Middle Age. What is it, Brooke? Medieval times. But basically, I don't think they understood what the resurrecting power is. There's a much better thing that was a painting that was written, was painted before the, the medieval times, and it's in a church in Turkey. And I want you to look at this painting. And this is such an awesome biblical perspective of what the Word of God and a biblical perspective of it. This picture is Jesus coming out of the tomb. And on his right and his left, he's holding Adam and Eve. And he's pulling them out of their graves and saving them from hell. But what's amazing about this picture that we see during, before, years and years ago, there was no focus on the burning of hell. On the bottom of that picture are broken locks and keys that represents the freedom of the cages that we've lived in, the emotional fear that we live, the what-if worst-case scenarios that prevents us from living the freedom that we have. And Jesus has the anointing power through the Holy Spirit to, man, break those from us. 
And so that we, these imprisoned lives that we live, that we can live in free. The biggest fear of all of us is death. And the mural is a powerful that tells us the truth. Follow me on the screen. Jesus' resurrection means we no longer have anything to fear. Anything to fear. In Jesus, God became a human, and we did the worst thing imaginable. We killed God. But the power of love is greater than the worst thing we could possibly do. The love of God could not be defeated, even by our own fears that led to God's murder. If God's love cannot be defeated, then what do we have to be afraid of? Absolutely nothing. When we begin to grasp the perfect and all-powerful love of God, the locks and the keys of self-protection, they have trapped us in this hopeless, eternal prison of fear, immediately break and drop away. And just as Jesus walked out of the tomb we made for him, we can walk right out of the tombs that we made for ourselves. Anxiety and despair are replaced with fear. This is the life that I want to embrace. This is the life that I really want to trust the Lord with. And take a look at this. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 20. Jesus is awesome. He's really awesome. If you move back past the religious stuff and really embrace Jesus himself, man, he's a loving Jesus. And says, Jesus said to them, the disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I will send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit represents Christ within us. Man, if I want anything in me, it's not fear. It's not resentment. It's not bitterness. It's not unforgiveness. I have those. Ooh, they don't feel good. In fact, they, they chase the peace right out. But man, when I replace that with Jesus, there's where the peace begins to grow. Not dependent on the circumstances we face, but the inner experience we have with Christ. Let me do one thing on the screen, last thing. God's spirit of love that holds all things in love works all things for good. We cannot see love, can we? We can only see the effects of love. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can be active and alive in us to set us free from our fear-based death traps. All we have to do is begin to trust that God is good because God is love. We can then let go of the control that locks us down in fears and surrender to the spirit of love that holds us in love and works all things for the ultimate good. That is a freedom from the life of what ifs. So peace be with you. Jesus is alive and it is all good. And so I wanna encourage you, Kavita and I will always struggle, but we know where to go when the fear kicks in. Next week, I wanna encourage you to bring a friend um, and I want to show a picture of my, uh, one of the things is my godson, because I don't have children, I dedicated him as an infant. And at four or five years old, he, re he received Christ in his life and said, I want to be like Daddy Kevin, which is me. <laughs> Why? Low expectations. 
But it was amazing. He's graduating from Azusa Pacific University next month with his master's in ministry. And he's, he's going to go up into uh, Washington State to be an associate pastor in the same denomination. So this four-year-old made a commitment to become a pastor, and he is a pastor. So we're going to co-preach next week. And the first time, I'm nervous as all get out because I will start crying every two seconds. If he goes out there, I go, (laughs) 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 I love this kid. May God bless you and may God bless his word.